Welcome to Direct Audio, a movie discussions podcast. My name is Spencer, and spooky season is on to a classic, in my opinion. We have also a classic guest, someone who hasn't been on in a very long time, the OG logo creator, David's on the pod. Hello, David. What's going on, Spencer? Long time, man. It has been a very long time. For those who know you, you're a big horror movie fan, so I want to get your kind of feelings on horror movies some stuff that you've watched your favorite movies and then why we ended up picking the cabin in the woods so i love horror movies absolutely love them never watched them growing up um then my daughter fell in love with it so i was like well if she can watch these i guess i'm gonna have to man up and do it and i realized i've been depriving myself for years like some of the best cinema in the world is horror movies now i will admit i'm a sucker for bad horror movies (laughs) (laughs) which i did not want to disgrace your pod with i did not want to we did maximum overdrive two weeks ago and that was as bad as we needed to go for this season but yeah so no i've always had an affinity to horror and cabin in the woods just really i will tell you this is one of the few horror movies that shocked me and i say that because i didn't know anything about it going in literally nothing and i think i missed like the first intro scene so i didn't realize what this whole movie was until about 20 minutes in i was like oh my gosh and then it just gets better and better so when you asked me about it i was like you know what this is the movie we need to talk about on the pod well ironically enough you're not the first person that has missed the intro to a movie and like been very confused max originally missed the intro to the batman (laughs) which i thought was hilarious but yeah this movie came out in 2011 written and directed by drew goddard alongside joss whedon who wrote it he didn't direct it but this movie is their love letter and basically fuck you as well to horror movies because On the surface, it is just your very basic slasher with this almost mastermind level twist where it's like the Truman Show almost where everything they're doing is predetermined and everything is already uh, covered and, you know, they're just a means to an end. But it's also throughout its runtime completely satirizing every slasher movie you've ever seen. I'm genuinely happy you picked this because I do think a lot of people when they think of movies like that just go to Scream. That is their reference point. And this one, I think, took it a step further in a sense where it wasn't really as like referential about like, oh, we are in a horror movie. But it openly had dialogue about, well, why do these things happen? How come one person is always so horny and there's always a dumb jock who wants to just bang this person in the weirdest location possible. And they make dumb decisions. And, like, it explains everything. It really does. What I think it does really well is it also has a lot of horror movie uh, legends and references. And it really tries to pay homage, uh, even in little ways. Like, one of the things I really love about this movie is a lot of the effects are practical effects done by AFX Studios, who is headed by David Leroy Anderson. And do you know who his wife is, who also worked on this? No, I don't. Who? His wife is Heather Langenkamp, a.k.a. Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street. 
And wow. they together, along with a humongous crew, did all the practical effects for this movie. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Alongside Rhythm and Hughes, who did the visual effects, uh, they make the chaos in that third act where there are all the references you could possibly want in horror um, <laughs> just work so well. Yeah, I, I honestly think the last 20 minutes of this film is just gold. It yeah. is just cinematic gold. This movie's got a 77.66 average, by the way I look at things, so it's got a pretty good average. But I think a lot of people will be drawn to this movie because although the cast is great, there's one name I'm going to save because uh, she is a surprise. But you have uh, Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins as two of my favorite characters in horror movie history. But you also have Jesse Williams, Anna Hutchinson, Fran Kranz playing Marty uh, is I want to see him in more horror movies. I do, too. He's so good. (laughs) He, he makes this movie. He's like the, the one character you're like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. I think <laughs> it's because he's you're supposed to see the movie through his eyes. His really uh, dilated bloodshot eyes. Because <laughs> this dude <laughs> smokes so much weed in maybe the coolest weed smoking apparatus in film history. I actually, I actually want one of those. Who yeah. needs a baseball bat? You just need that mug. You just need the collapsible coffee cup bong and then Kristen Connolly she's great as Dana but there's one name I'm clearly leaving out Thor himself Chris Hemsworth in the thing that caught me off guard about this the dude just dropped Thor well here's the thing (laughs) that is where you're wrong because this movie and there is a thing that happens in film where they will uh, they'll film a movie and then the studio just cans it and they table it and they let it sit. So this happened with uh, – there's a really famous one. Uh, it's one of the Texas Chainsaw movies that has Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. And the studio just sits on it and goes, this movie's crap. And then for that reasoning, for the Texas Chainsaw, the studio just waited. And then once they got really popular, they said, oh, we're going to release this movie. And then boom, they can market it. This movie has Matthew McConaughey in it right at his peak. The studio had some issues uh, and got sold and they wanted to make this movie 3D and this film kept getting kicked down the line. This movie and Red Dawn, same thing. He's in that as well. During that two-year period or two-and-a-half-year period, Thor was released. So this is pre-Thor, but it was released post-Thor. Gotcha. And you can tell that this is pre-Thor because... Uh, spoiler alert, he does not make it to the end. And you know, <laughs> like I think of, you know, the do you know the Friday 13th remake? Yes. Okay. And do you know House of Wax? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in both those movies, you have Jared Padalecki from Supernatural fame. House of Wax is pre-Supernatural. Or like right at the beginning. Friday 13th is right at that time where Supernatural hits it big. In House of Wax, that dude goes out pretty much midway through the film and gets his face ripped off but he's covered in wax uh and then in friday the 13th he survives literally jason so that's how you know someone has made it to the point where they go contractually i'm not allowed to die in this film (laughs) (laughs) and thor or chris hemsworth was not at that point and let me tell you if you couldn't tell by his very below average american accent he is not his uh, better acting self as he is now. He is definitely young and uh, kind of in this movie, yeah, for sure. But he he adds that extra 
like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize Thor was in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, along with some other, you know, hidden cameos that we'll yeah. talk about later. It just, everything about this movie just worked. I think when a lot of horror movies have a big name actor, you can go, oh, I know they're going to make it. And his just sudden demise is so <laughs> out of left field. Uh, it's one of the best sequences in the film. I mean, here's the thing. There is pretty much one whole sequence that makes it really amazing. But if you go back from that and look at some of the other smaller parts in the film, that's one of the most memorable. I would agree. It's rare where you, again, where you see like the, oh, the leading actor. Nope. Not in this movie. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not the level of like Drew Barrymore um, where she gets canned or Marion Crane psycho. I can't remember the actress's name, unfortunately, but like, it's not that level, but it is definitely like, huh? Well, all right then. <laughs> I didn't see that happening. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but even though this movie bounced around a little bit from studio it ended up at Lions Gate, which pretty much released every single horror movie from the, uh, like early to mid two thousands. Um, <laughs> It was a success in the box office. It doubled its money. It made about a little over $60 million in the box office. It was a huge hit. For some people, like you said, your uh, your girlfriend, she's not a big horror fan. And this was kind of a nice uh, door opening to that genre. Is that, that makes sense. It is. I figure it's a soft entry point because there's still a good deal of comedy in this movie. There's some lighter points. There's some things that will definitely make you chuckle, if not laugh. And, you know, they mixed in some some jump scares. It's, I think it's so well balanced. I don't think anything was heavy handed. Um, there are some movies where it is literally jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. I mean, somebody's opening a door and it's a jump scare. It's like, can we not? <laughs> yeah. So if any of your listeners right now have not seen this movie, I would tell you, well, table this because we're about to spoil everything. Yeah. Go watch this film. And if you have seen it, go rewatch it. Just a great popcorn flick sit back even though you do have to pay attention in this movie because there's a lot of subtle things yeah this by no means is one of those like shut your brain off horror films i mean you uh, you definitely can like i'm not gonna say you have to sit there and like pull out your pen and paper go write that down but like if you if you do just watch it kind of mindlessly you'll have a good time but if you actually sit there and you pay attention to the movie and you watch it you're gonna take away some really cool notes and maybe take away some fun little things to take to other horror movies and kind of look at that as a reference point, you know? Absolutely. All right. So if you were David about five years ago, you missed this entire portion. We open with a blood-covered screen uh, with pictures of blood sacrifices throughout time in different styles. There's like cave drawings, hieroglyphics, paintings. And then I love that this movie uses smash cuts a lot. (laughs) And it yes. uses it comedically. It was like, and boom, a coffee maker in an office setting. And I thank God that we did not have one of these shitty coffee makers where it's like you have to put a quarter in and it pops a cup out and it pours out a very below average cup of Joe. And it is like the most lukewarm shit ass coffee you've ever had. Bradley Whitford, Richard Jenkins, they're in dress shirts and ties. They're matching outfits. We have Bradley Whitford playing hadley ironically enough and then you have richard jenkins is playing sitterson and um they just have such a great chemistry it's so it it just it fuels the film (laughs) it really does i mean it's just priceless 
it seems so natural. I would actually love to know how many takes they did for their scenes because that it's like they're feeding right off each other and it's great. And all the behind the scenes stuff, they are having such a fun time together. They're goofing around, they're talking. We get an Aaron Sorkin style walk and talk where we see a woman in a lab coat named Lynn. She runs up to tell them Stockholm failed and it's now up to them or Japan. And we don't know what they're referencing. I really enjoy how this movie kind of keeps that behind closed doors. They mention about the last failure that they ever had, which was 1998. And uh, we're in like this like cold concrete setting. It's actually a university up in um, Canada because that's where they filmed. They get up and they drive off in golf carts. There's a circle of golf carts and that's where they go. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing about this, because as I was doing research for this movie and when they said that, he's like, oh, chem department messed up in 98. I started thinking, I was like, I wonder why they referenced that. Because I will tell you, nothing in this movie was not done without intention. Everything they say is tied to something. So if you go back to 1998, I did some research. They actually, a lot of people think they were referencing the faculty where five kids, ultimately teens, were going to be killed. Are you serious? Yes. When I heard that, I was like, Oh my God. In the Kim department messed up in 1998. <laughs> so, I can't believe that. And it, it really blew my mind. I was like, if they seriously gave a nod to that movie, well done. <laughs> wow. But we then go to our main character. She's packing. And this is what I hate. We get such an unnecessary shot of her just literally pantsless underwear dancing in front of a wide open window in her home. Like, why? I agree. And this this is actually, there are a couple of flaws in this movie. And this was one of them. It feels (laughs) so egregious. Yeah, it's like, okay, I understand they're still trying to be, hey, we got to have a little bit of, you know, sex appeal in this movie. They But they so, add that later with, and they, may, and they actually give the character who does it purpose. This is just to have one quick joke, but it goes on for so long it makes no sense that no one was like, hey, by the way, you're not wearing pants. Yeah, and, and then once Chris Hensworth walk, walks into the room, she completely forgets that she's not wearing pants. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been around any one of the opposite sex and this wasn't her boyfriend walks in the room and you're just like oh i forgot i don't have pants on you know i'm i'm gonna call bs on that she grabs a sketchbook though dana and she sees a a hunky man that was drawn on there and her friend jules comes up and surprises her we get some weird like backstory about how Dana was hooking up with her professor and it's it's like literally dropped. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. It was like, okay, why was that even necessary? Yeah. Other than the fact to say that, okay, you know this character is not a virgin, mm-hmm. which ends up being a thing in the movie later, but which is actually a great joke later. Jules has recently dyed her hair blonde. And uh, Kurt comes up, he's a jock, but we find out that he's on scholarship, full academic scholarship, he's super smart, he chucks a football out the window and onto the street, our next character, Holden, grabs it? Yeah, I when I saw that, I literally had to hit pause, and I was like, hold on, how many people do you know 
can't take like crunk bulb a piece of paper and hit a trash can. Yeah. This dude took a full on football, threw it between two women, threw a window outside, and his friend just happened to be in the middle of the street expecting and, this football. Yeah, not only, not only because from the street view, you cannot see in the room. Yeah, you don't even like know the ball's coming. Yeah. He has no idea. And again, okay, you can see in the window, but Chris Hemsworth by the door of the room, <laughs> chucks the football, and then calculates out the physics to have the ball. Holden doesn't have to run. Yeah, it's just right there. It just like boom. they were pitch and catch. Like just <laughs> how they have not won every single football game they've played is beyond me. But I do like that they subvert that dumb jock trope because Kurt's like, hey. You should uh, impress Holden by reading this poetry to him and like picks up a book and explains it to him. So we are getting a fun subversion of every trope that we are going to see down the line. They're packing up their RV and then uh, our last character comes up. I'm not going to talk about subverting expectations here because Marty just runs straight into his role because he is driving, smoking a bong, and it is a travel coffee mug that is telescopic, that turns into a bomb. His character was everything this film needed. As soon as he shows up, he gets out of the car and locks his door with the window down. Thank you. Like, the, window, the window is down and he locks his car. But uh, they drive off in their RV and the tone changes immediately because we go up top and see on top of their roof, we get a cool crane shot from the ground all the way to the top. And the dude's like, uh, the group is leaving. Um, but we do hear that they are going to Kurt's cousin's cabin. Um, his cousin just bought this cabin. And uh, they're going to go spend the weekend there. And in the RV, Marty is ranting about conspiracy theories and the government tracking people and watching every move. And cut to the government watching people and tracking their every move. <laughs> Absolutely. Great, great bit. So part of me wants to kind of drop this bomb now. And I guess since all the spoilers are coming out, here's the one thing I had to try to put together. Because that statement you said, they're going up to visit Kurt's cousin's cabin. Does Kurt's cousin work for the company? No, there's a line at the end of the movie where... Dana says, spoiler alert, alert. when they're sitting down, she goes, Kurt doesn't even have a cousin. Yep, and I caught that, and I was like, well, then how did this get set up? It probably was part of, they, they, okay, so we find out that they have been, whatever the group is, I don't know if they're the government or not, but they have been monitoring this group for a while because they put the chemicals in her hair dye that yep. makes her act dumber. They gave Marty specific weed. They to have lower been, his inhibitions. Yep. Right. So they have been doing this. So I'm assuming at some point they lowered Kurtz and sent him a letter being like, hey, come or send him a message. And like he thought he had to like whatever and tricked him into wanting to go. Very interesting. No, I was I was trying to put it together, especially when she said that he didn't have a cousin. I'm like, well, then somebody worked for the company who set him up to go there because this group of five was selected for this adventure. Yeah. So. I, I just think it's that where like they've had, they are basically puppeteering everything. And I guess just like before that they have um, basically tricked them into going. Fair enough. I like it. 
Yeah. So we are on our way to the titular cabin in the woods, and they stop at a rundown gas station in the middle of nowhere, as you do, <laughs> per stereotypical horror. And with this rundown gas station, we get one of the most iconic horror movie style characters, the Harbinger. <laughs> and uh, good old Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai. <laughs> he jump scares them. Uh, and what, what I like, as I said about this jump scare subversion. It makes you think one's going to happen, how they frame the shot. Like, uh, Holden's inside the gas station. There's, like, creaky floorboards, faded windows. There's dead animals, traps hanging. And the camera, when a jump scare is about to happen, they frame it so the character is at the front of the frame. And you're following their motion so you don't see what's in front of them. So we start to do that as we turn around. And then it whooshes past him and there's nothing there. And then, as he's about to leave, that's where the jump scare hits you. In a wider yeah. shot. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. And I have to appreciate them taking the time to not be so stereotypical. And again, like you said, this was kind of the big F you to every horror movie. We're going to destroy every trope and do it differently. Yeah. So I really like that. They're like, hey, can you give us gas and directions? And he gives like a stereo non-typical answer. Talks shit to Jules. Calls her a slur. <laughs> And it's like, what the fuck? And then... Did you love how Holden stepped in? uh Like, he's like, oh, we're good here. This dude has the grossest habit of all time. Look, I'm sorry. There are a lot of habits. But spitting, chewing tobacco like that is the single grossest thing. And this movie knows it. It's like... (laughs) Yeah. Kurt chucks the money for the gas of this dude, and he spits on it. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> not not Kurt, by the way, listener. The Harbinger spits tobacco on his own money. Money that he's going to have to pick up. Right. Because who doesn't want the money? Yeah. Well, apparently not him because we find out he's also working for the government hilariously later on. But we hear that many people have bought this home that they're going to in the past few years. And it keeps getting bought and resold. We get some great establishing shots of them going through a really windy road. And then they drive through a hill with some pretty not good looking cg and then uh, a poorly done eagle flies around and crashes into a force field and the force field looks dope yep and uh our rv drives through the other side and they arrive at pretty much our first reference because this house is <laughs> identical to the evil dead house it really is. The only nod they didn't take is they weren't in Michigan. Yeah, pretty much. Because because they pull up on that house, and I'm like, oh, that's the Evil Dead house. I mean, even is- <laughs> included comes multiple creepy rooms and a cellar. Yep. Now, the funny thing is, I will tell you, some realtor definitely earned his money. Because if you look at that house from the outside, it looks like about a 700 square foot house. But I need you to know that house has four bedrooms, yeah, <laughs> an open floor plan kitchen, living room, dining, <laughs> yeah, and a cellar. But I think that's kind of if you're looking at like the old haunted house horror movie tropes. Like, I think one of the easy things to do is perspective. When from the outside everything looks normal and calm and it's small, but when you go in there, it's it's different proportions. It's the uh, Alice in Wonderland effect. So Absolutely. that's where you walk in. You're like, I'm not in the same place I was. We get a great Dutch angle of Dana walking in the cabin. She walks in. It's your stereotypical old cabin, like we mentioned. 
and the rest of the gang immediately lies as they run and go, this looks awesome. Which, I don't know, these kids don't get out much, but I can tell you, Spencer, if we went up north for a weekend and NASA the cabin you were telling me about, I'm like, all right, so where's the like Holiday Inn? Yeah, I, I was or the say, Marriott. Tell me where the nearest hotel is. <laughs> I'm going this back to Harvard work for, for your more boy. directions. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have our group split into different rooms. He goes to his room, sees the painting on the wall that's identical to the one we saw in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. He's like, nah. Takes it down. It's covering a two-way mirror. Uh, or is it a one-way? I don't understand how... Th- what is a Is a mirror one-way? Is a mirror a two-way? Because she can't see through. How many ways? Yeah, it technically should be a one-way mirror, but they call it a two-way mirror. I don't a know why. A two-way mirror is a window. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Right. A no-way mirror is a mirror. <laughs> so, yeah, he fi- he finds this one-way window, which, again, here we go with the tropes. <laughs> so, for some reason just got into this place the lead actress in this movie Kristen Conley decides to undress in front of the mirror in front I must see my body yeah exactly I I literally I watched that scene I thought back to my entire through my entire life Spencer have you ever undressed in front of a mirror like besides like the bathroom no yeah besides the bathroom just like standing, like let me look at myself as I take my clothes off. Yeah. Oh, look at that! <laughs> Unless I'm checking he, for like moles. Yeah, I was like, did I get bit by a tick? Like, what's right. going on? <laughs> um, he kind of contemplates looking through the mirror, and he's like, bangs on the wall, stops. He's, he's a good guy. Everyone comes in, and then there's a great line by Marty because Kurt's like, "Hey, is there one of these in our room?" Because Marty's gonna watch us pound away, and Marty's like. <laughs> I didn't even like hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did love. Again, it's the small things they did in this movie. I'm like, wow. They had to slide that in like that. So, yeah. well done. It's, but it's, here, Go on. Here comes the next part of that scene, which makes no sense. So, as... I'm trying to think. As Holden's character is talking to Dana, he's like, you probably feel better if we switch rooms, right? She's like, yeah. Okay, so they're going to switch rooms. Now, he didn't put the painting back. <laughs> so he goes into the room, <laughs> and what's he start doing? He starts taking off his fucking clothes. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and not just, like, changing his shirt. Dude, like, like unbuttons his fucking pants. And she's like, no, 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 no. Um, and, like, I hope that this is, and we find out later, they are supposed to be pumping in pheromones. This is Alex Jones level conspiracy where we're pumping chemicals in the water to turn the frogs gay. We are <laughs> pumping chemicals into this cabin to make these people horny. And I'm hoping that that room is just like either they made the temperature 600 degrees or it is the horniest fuck room. Yeah, seriously, because he, he stripped quick. And you just had the same thing on the other side of the glass. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> I know, like, when I get to a hotel room, like, yeah, I want to change my clothes. I go on the bed first. I might go to the bathroom, put my suitcase. No, this is like, and pants down. <laughs> she might be looking right now. Let's give her a show. Yeah. But she puts the painting back up, and then she says no. Instead of her taking it down, she puts the blanket on top of it, which is what I would have done. Hold on. In the t- beginning. Taking on a fucking <laughs> painting. 
Um, also, that's not really convenient for that person who has to, like, if it's the government watching them or if it's, like, sexy time, you have to take down a fucking, like, 60-inch painting. Yeah, and that's going to make noise. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to, like, spy on somebody, the last thing you want to do is a as you're taking this painting down. Also, <laughs> I don't know if they're taking down a painting or a picture. It is hard to hang that back up one person. Yeah, she hung it back up there with like like she just magically found the hooks yeah. that went right on the wall. It's <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. But uh, we go back to the control room. We hear that they're increasing the libido of some people in the cabin. She also tells us the secret on how to lower brain function. And that was the hair dye. It bleeds into her scalp and goes into the bloodstream. So that's why Jules is going to start slowly getting dumber. The harbinger calls, and this is one of my favorite points in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I literally love this. So our harbinger calls, good old Mordecai, and he's calls and he's talking to Hadley. <laughs> and he's, I don't know, he's, I guess, warning of the impending doom of how serious this moment is for whatever the mission they have to accomplish. But Hadley puts him on speakerphone. And about 30 seconds into it, he's like, mind speaker. <laughs> it's the most earnest reaction because everyone has done that am i on speakerphone right now it is so great it's like i can hear the echo <laughs> he's like no 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 so they keep going and he starts rambling on again about the end of the world yada yada yay and then for whatever reason <laughs> richard jenkins laughs and i swear that is the most genuine scene Ever, because if you don't laugh at that moment, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I'm still on speaker." <laughs> it's so good because it's a great prank. Everybody's done it before. Where they trick someone to putting on speakerphone. Cuts back to the kids. They're playing around the lake. There's a funny moment by Kurt. Where he's like, "What's that? Oh my god, what's that? It's my girlfriend." Then shoves her face first, and she hits hard. Hard. <laughs> Yeah, I actually paused at that point, too, and I looked at my current girlfriend. I was like, um, so, if we're near a lake, and I push you into the water like that, she's like, I'll cut you. Yeah. I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> That's all I needed to know. <laughs> and then he jumps in, makes a quick joke about a gorgeous man, and then says, uh, oh, we're, we're endangered. We go back to the control room, and we see... They're taking bets. And at this point in the movie... You don't know why. You just see them collecting people's money. Come on, bet time. And people are putting their bets in and they're haggling over who should pick who. And, well, I want this t I want this bet, not this other division. And you're just kind of like, what's happening right now? Like, yeah, and, It's almost like Super Bowl, Super Bowl like you're selling uh -huh. squares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, Hadley brings up he wants something and then Thurston says aquaman and then he's like well why would you say that uh and uh we hear uh someone comes up and then citizen's like we don't have one of those and then the guy retorts back like zoology swears that we do and then citizen's like okay we then see a weasley guy come up and hadley is like hey sorry this creature is picked by maintenance and and the dude's like mm, oh, mm, oh well what are your thoughts and then he's like i just want this moment to end <laughs> love it it's so great it's so good <laughs> Um, so we see the new security guards there, Truman. What I like is that he is there, just like how Marty is basically the eyes of the viewer on the other side. 
Truman is the eyes of the viewer on this side of the world. So we're getting all the exposition through him. They're explaining to him everything that happens. And he's doesn't want to bet. I love this part where it shows Kurt turn on the music in the cabin. And then we cut back to the control room. And Sitterson and Hadley are doing this like really old man style like boogie with each other. <laughs> And it's in perfect frame of what they're... It's so good. Yeah, it it is the little things they do in this movie, and that's what made... That's what makes it for me. Yeah. And something else that I researched, because I was I did a lot of homework for this. I was thank getting you, prepared. Truman. That's the guard's name. And they said that was a nod to back to Jim show. Carrey, to the Truman Show. Yeah. And I was like, they literally... Like I, I tell all your listeners, everything was intentional in this movie. <laughs> everything was spelled out for a reason we get this uh one we go back to the cabin and they're drinking out of like tankers like we're on a fucking pirate ship where do they get these from <laughs> yeah i have no idea and i don't remember them bringing like no. they showed the rv so i guess maybe everything was packed up in the rv already but eh, they had a quite a bit of stuff there but <laughs> it doesn't make any sense um <laughs> They're playing Truth or Dare, and uh, Marty dares Jules to make out with the moose on the wall, even though it's a wolf. <laughs> he His lines are great. He says, the mysterious beast. And then he says, he's living in a womb of reefer. <laughs> I have never heard of, but it sounds intriguing. No, I... I actually want to be that high one day just to know what life is like i think you die (laughs) but so she gets up she seductively like we get that shot that like lingers from the ground up to her it's seductively framed she goes over to the wolf head she plays this quirky game of like oh me oh my gosh me and then um she makes out with this wolf and then they all applaud her and yeah, it's kind I thought of that was weird. kind of weird. <laughs> like, why Why are we sending applause for this? Like, I, I didn't understand that at all. I just, I don't know if I've ever wanted to watch someone make out with a taxidermied head. Um, but fun fact, this they couldn't use a real one, so they had to make one up with a removable tongue that was covered in powdered sugar. That is a very interesting fact. Hmm. Call out Dana, and Kurt's like, you're going to pass, because say you wanted... Uh, truth and not gonna dare so dana gets offended and obviously as every person ever played truth or dare before when someone says that you gotta say dare the and right at this point the cellar door immediately blasts open just like it does in evil dead uh-huh. starting off by making kurt sound dumber he goes the wind blew it open and marty's like that makes no sense <laughs> and again this is one of those things where it's like here, here's those pheromones, everything's starting to happen. Like, if you're just sitting there, and not the cellar door in the floor, but a door opens. I think that's going to give everybody more pause than, ooh, what's that? Let's go look. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it flies open, and then obviously they stereotypically are like, hey, I dare you to go in the cellar. And uh, we get a great close-up of her being scared. She goes down there. It's your typical creepy cellar. She has a flashlight to light it. And it actually... And then the light from the prop door above. It's a cool frame shot because you have no idea what's down there. And you're expecting the worst. 
Yep. Everybody at this point is expecting, oh, she's going to be killed, like, right now. Yeah. And that's another good thing. Nothing actually scary happens in this movie for, like, the first 45 minutes of the movie. It really is tame. They come down there because she screams because she sees, like, an up-close of a doll. And this is where we see a bunch of random shit. And I wrote some stuff down. You have a lumberjack-style saw, an old piano, a dollhouse, a fortune-telling machine, a knockoff lament configuration-style ball, a wedding dress, a music box, and a conch cell that almost gets blown in. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marty is the smartest guy, and he goes, I dare everyone to go upstairs. And everybody gets mesmerized. Everybody picks their own thing. Because it truly frames it like you have no idea what item they're going to pick. Because And then just as, I want to say, just as Jules is getting ready to slide the necklace on. And just as Kurt is about to press the button in the, uh, the lament configuration. Oh, guys, look! listen to this. And she starts reading this really, like, morbid diary entry. And it's pretty graphic. And they're talking about people being tortured. It's funny because at that point, Marty's like, can we just not? And then <laughs> Kurt's, like, Kurt's like, stop being a little bitch. Keep reading the book. Yeah. And here's where one of my favorite parts of this movie comes up. She's like, she reads this, I don't know, she probably reads it like a paragraph passage. And then she's like, oh, there's something here in Latin. And Marty goes, okay, I'm going to draw the line right here. Don't read the Latin. Yeah. Listener, if you ever find a book and it just suddenly turns into Latin, unless that book is called Latin for Dummies, don't read the fucking Latin. And here's the next part. Who knows how to read Latin? Right, exactly. Well, that's the funny part because the voice in the background goes, read it, read it out loud. And Marty's like, what the fuck? Which is so great. I mean, all the subliminal messages that are happening. And he's the one who's stoned out of his mind. And he's catching it. The music swells. She finishes reading it. And zombies with weapons come out of the ground. And uh, we get our choice. And we cut back to the control room. And he goes, it's the Buckners. (laughs) And uh, then I love, he goes, the maintenance team wins. So is the intern. In this Wes Anderson-styled shot with the intern going, yeah, woo, <laughs> is one of my favorite moments in this movie because it is so pure. If anyone's ever won something like that, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. The woman next to him gets mad because she says, wait a minute, I picked zombies. And he says, there's a difference of species. You pick zombies. This is undead redneck like where uh, something zombies torture torture, torture zombies, zombies. <laughs> yes and uh he's standing from a whiteboard and i wrote all of these down much like you'd find in any office building and there are all these creatures and monsters written down on this whiteboard so they start with simple you know you have a werewolf you have an alien beast you have wraiths haven't heard that in a while you have the zombies you have clowns which i thought was good I did like the witches and then the sexy, sexy witches. witches. Yes, <laughs> the sexy witches never show up. They never. Make I will an say they never make an appearance. You go now for the next ones because these next ones are good. <laughs> yeah, because we then get a couple references because we get our Hell Lord, which is our Hellraiser ripoff. Uh, we get our angry molesting tree, which is the ode to Evil Dead. You get a giant snake, which is Anaconda. 
Uh, you then get Deadites, which is a direct correlation to the Evil Dead. You then also get uh, things like the Twins, which is from The Shining. Mummy, The Bride. And one of them I like is just Sasquatch slash Wendigo slash Yeti, depending on what area you're in. There are then a couple other ones I like. There's one that just says Kevin. I did not get the Kevin one. Okay, so here is what it could be. So I don't know when this movie came out, but there's a horror movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin, where he's like a serial killer. But what I heard is in a deleted scene, it basically shows like a person like Sin City style, like Elijah Wood character, who's just like an undisclosed serial killer. Hmm. And that's Kevin. Um, But yeah, the rest of them, you have mutants, the scarecrow folk, snowman, dragon bat, vampires, the dismemberment goblins, (laughs) the sugar plum fairy. The sugar plum fairy. I would have loved. Yes. I wonder what artifact was in the cellar for the sugar plum fairy. I think the sugar plum fairy is the, uh, the musical box. Because the ballerina? The sh- yeah, because the sugar plum fairy uh, actually is the one with the teeth that we see later. Mm, okay. Um, we then get the reanimated, a unicorn, the Huron, the doctor, Jack O'Lantern, a giant, and then, sadly, the one that does not get picked, to Hadley's dismay, the merman. He had the conch in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> and i love you know what i find really sweet though after we get jules explain to truman that all these aren't from nightmares they're what nightmares are from and they've existed over time and then we pan over uh some monitors to see all the other cities failing and it's like berlin has a house on fire randoon is basically like platoon now and then kyoto has samara style demon from the ring just in the middle of a classroom <laughs> with screaming schoolgirls. Which is interesting because this will get brought up later. So in America, the ritual was you had to, you know, kill five teens who transgressed and sinned. Why was the demon in Japan having to kill children? I have no (laughs) earthly idea what the requirements are for other areas. And I think that might be just like a commentary on other horror movies. So I wonder if we were ever get like a sequel that would take place in the Japan sector and would be a different style connection for them. Like, I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Um, but I do want to quickly say that there is a f- thing that is said where Truman, he starts to get existential and Lynn says, ah, eh, you get used to it. And he says, should you? This was actually based on the director's hometown. He grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where they developed the atomic bond with the Manhattan Project. And he was talking about how people could just go about their day and live their daily lives as they created weapons that could literally destroy the world. Hmm. Very interesting. That's a deep cut. Yeah. We go back and we see that that libido uh, scent is working because we get a Jules sexy fireplace dance. Um and everybody is now officially set in their stereotypes. And this is kind of cool. So she is clearly the slutty type. We then go to Kurt, who is doing shots and acting all drunk and kind of douchey in his Letterman jacket. <laughs> Holden is now wearing like a nice button up. He has his glasses on and he's reading a book. Dana is coyly sitting there watching, kind of almost like demurely, uh, staring at uh, Jules do the dance. And Marty is getting more and more suspicious as he smokes his weed. 
Uh, Marty gets more suspicious. Uh, Kurt, like, grabs Jules and wants to go fool around in the woods? Which is so weird, because you have a bed down the other hallway. Right. Like, who wants to go have sex outside at night? Hey... I, um, I don't know. But Marty also, what I like here, he starts calling everybody out. He's like, why the fuck is Kurt being so rude? He's not who he says he is. Like, he literally is on academic scholarship. Why is he acting so strange? The the line here where he says, it's a great shot and edit, because Kurt goes, we're all alone. And then we cut to the entire control room staring in <laughs> awe at the main screen. And she goes, I'm cold. And then it pans back and they go, aww. <laughs> But this is how crazy it is because the control room literally controls everything because they turn up the temperature and they release more pheromone mist and the grab ass commences. Yeah, I, I did like that. It was like, oh, watch the master work. It's like, you got temperature control in here? <laughs> so much so that when she says it's dark, they literally light up a spot in the forests. <laughs> the perfect pasture for them to lay down and yeah. you know have some fun <laughs> yeah and um truman comes in and basically compl- like complains to citizen hadley that they're watching this and why is here naked their answer is really creepy because they're like we don't want to see this there are other people that want to see this and you do realize what's at stake here right and as soon as she takes it off and starts you know getting all sexy her hand lingers and we get a close-up stabbing, and the Buckners are officially here. And so here's the one thing I will say. Here comes the other flaw, which is a flaw and also kind of fun for a horror movie. It's damage. I I don't know about you. I always have a problem whenever I watch any movie. doesn't matter if it's a Jet Li movie or a Jackie Chan movie. People can only take so much damage like when you ever see somebody get hit in the head with a vase and they keep fighting i'm like have you ever tried to break a beer bottle right (laughs) that's what i always think of when they break a beer bottle over someone's head it's like you're done yeah you're done like that's not it doesn't just break like you know paper mache oh no and so she gets stabbed in the hand and seems to recover from this and continues to scream and whatever but Thor, you know, Kurt here, he takes a shank in, like, the collarbone region? Yeah. From, like, a nine-inch knife. A rusty-ass knife of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and he pulls it out. I'm like, I'll commend you, because actually it's the worst thing you could do. But he pulls it out and then continues to live for, I mean, like, another, what, 20, 30 minutes of the movie? At uh, minimum, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, she does not follow his trend because she gets caught up. They're holding Kurt as he has to watch as they take that tree saw we saw downstairs and literally decapitate her in front of his eyes. Yeah, that had to be pretty gruesome. But somehow he gets away. That doesn't... somehow, Somehow he gets away. But then, this is what I like. We cut... He screams, and we're back in the control room, and it is silent. And this shows... That this is not a game because Citizen prays. He says, this we offer in humility and fear for the blessed peace of your eternal slumber as it ever was. And they go to a wooden panel. They open it up and they pull a lever. And we cut inside to see basically what looks like the Lionsgate logo. 
where like gears are turning and shifting. We see a canister of blood get knocked over and it drips into a large stone carving. This is where I guess we'll kind of get into this. This movie is referencing, obviously, those uh, horror movie slasher character archetypes. And what is really cool about this film, what happens in this next sequence, because now we're basically into the second act. Every horror movie that you've ever seen can now be explained to it was basically a sacrifice done for this. And because the decisions that they make under duress are all controlled by the control room. Whatever is released is done by what they choose. So when they're like, oh, at this night, like a couple dozen years ago, this killer came out. It's like, okay, they've officially chosen that killer. And it can kind of all be uh, gone into. These are sacrifices that must be made. This is why they make dumb decisions. This is why they're all so horny. It is a like inside look at... An in, it's an introspective look at horror movies, and I think it is so well done, and everything has its purpose. It harkens back to the discussion that Truman had probably 15 minutes earlier from this point in the movie, where he's like, well, then it's all fixed. He's like, if you control everything, then the game's fixed. He's like, nope, it's not fixed. We do what we can do. But they still have to make the decisions. They make the choices. They do what they have to do. And then they need to be punished after the fact. Uh, We go to Marty's room because Marty said he wanted to go read picture books. He's reading a picture book. And uh, he starts panicking. uh, Because he hears more voices. And he's like, you think I'm a puppet? You want me to do a puppet dance? You want me to do a puppet dance? And the voice (laughs) in the background is going, go for a walk. Go for a walk. And then Marty just goes, I'm going to go for a walk. (laughs) It's so funny. Um... And then, kind of touching up on earlier with, like, the virgin trope and the final girl trope that we'll get to later, Holden and Dana are making out. She goes, I don't want to go too far because I've never – and then she goes, wait, what? Because, like, they're literally feeding that to her and she's feeling demure and she's feeling like she is a virgin even though we know that she's not. So these characters are regressing to the archetypes that they've already been selected for. Mm Mm-hmm. We go outside and we see Marty is there and we see something's lurking in the distance out of focus and we get a great – talk about good jump scares. This is one of them because it's also a great subversion. So we think it's going to be the evil girl but it's Kurt. He grabs Marty, pulls her towards the cabin. As he turns around, we see Patience, the girl whose diary they read, is right there with her one arm and her axe and he just clotheslines her and goes, dead bitch. (laughs) Yeah. did love it uh dana basically panics and when they get inside she goes where's jules where's jules and then uh she's gone is what kurt says and uh she's like i can't leave without jules opens the door the largest buckner's there and he just chucks jules head at dana yeah you're not leaving without her she's here yeah um and again it's one of those things so as 10 to 15 minutes of movie is played by so chris hensworth has escape from the Buckners has run all the way back to the cabin with this nine inch wound in his collarbone neck area that he hasn't bled out from, but that's okay. But throughout this, we get some more tropes where he's like, we need to stick together. And then they release more gas in the house to activate their stupidity. And he goes, we need to split up. That's more, that's better. Yeah. We can cover more room. And then Marty's like, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's funny how the gas then affected Dana and Holden. Because they're like, yeah, yeah, he's right. And Marty's the only one who's like, what? Like, <laughs> Well, but he plays along anyways because they run back to their rooms. Marty knocks over a lamp. What does he find? The camera feed. He's got the little cord. It's a little micro camera. And he's like, what the hell is this? He starts pulling out the string. And it's all in the walls. And he's like, oh my god. So Marty has now uncovered... This is a controlled environment. So everything that he's been saying, literally since they got there, everybody's been acting funny. He's like, something's not right. (laughs) He's now figuring it out. And uh, the control room's just to freak out, except for, they're like, oh, just kidding. Here comes one of the Buckners. And the Buckner comes, grabs him through the window, drags him outside. He uses his telescopic bong to fight back. But not for long, as he gets stabbed in the back, pulled underground, and there's a large splash of blood. And we see the same process happen that we just saw with Jules. They break the vial. But the problem is, this one causes a little earthquake. And they go, ah, this happens sometimes. They get a little excited. But uh, we go back to the titular cabin. Dana almost gets killed. Holden uses the mirror to save her. They go to the basement. They see the torture room that they read about. And they all just forget that they're in a situation like this and then get attacked. And again, I think that's because of the gas they're pumping Uh through the house, that they're just not paying attention. But you also see the level of manipulation to this area that after this next attack, Jules or Dana is actually holding a knife. Yep, because she stabs the the, the daddy Buckner, gets stabbed a bunch, and he dies. Yep. And then then Sitterson... Hits a switch, and it literally causes an electronic pulse, and it makes her drop the knife, and she doesn't even realize she's dropped it. Because, like, well, we can't have her armed anymore. But it (laughs) it explains why horror characters always drop their weapons. Yeah. It's one of those things. I say it every time I watch a horror movie. I'm like, I see somebody go into a room, and I'm like, you didn't grab anything to defend yourself? Kurt shows back up, he grabs him, they go to the RV, and we see that there's a little bloody handprint on it. And uh, you talked about this earlier, we get a screaming transition as we go to the Japanese classroom. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like how the Grinch stole Christmas, the ending, and they're just basically singing, Habu Ramis. <laughs> and uh, they turn that evil spirit into a frog. Yeah, which is fantastic and this is where the next funny scene in the movie as you see richard jenkins just stare at the camera and he's like fuck you fuck you (laughs) to all these little kids because japan like the swedes and in rio and in berlin they have failed their test yeah which means now this all falls on the american team to pull this home and make sure this ritual is completed the cave that they drove through in the rv is not blown up yet and they panic and we get this crazy sequence where we're cutting back and forth from the rv to the control room citizen is sprinting across the demolitions team and he's like why the tunnel blown they're like well we didn't get the memo and he's like get the fucking tunnel blown and then he is literally hot wiring it and right as they get to the tunnel he hits it they blow it up and then they have to reverse back as we see all this aftermath from the debris now here's the one thing and it's it made me question it at the very beginning of the movie and then by this point you're thinking because you you watch him run 
I mean, run through this facility. And I have to think, how many people work there? <laughs> I mean, probably a ton because you see, you see people at the end what what happens, but then you also like see how big the facility is. So there's probably what I would say, like maybe a thousand people, two thousand, at people? least a thousand, and they've got their own SWAT division. Yeah, which isn't like wow, that's impressive. But how many people have to be in the know? Yeah. And then it, this is just kept a secret. <laughs> well, all of, I guess all of them are. I mean, when you're part of that kind of big of a conspiracy, if you start to get that stuff out, then everybody you tell is probably going to be killed. Yeah, true. And and as long as they're paying the bills. But that's the point that the director is trying to make, and the writer is where like, it's how can you live with yourself when you know what you're doing is technically for the good of the world in a sense. You well, you know what you're doing is going to kill so many people and it's going to affect so many people's lives, but you do it because it's a means to an end. Yeah, we see Kurt grabs the dirt bike that was on the back of the RV, <laughs> and uh, he revs up and gives a speech where he's like, "I'm going to go save this for Jules. I'm going to come back with guns and police and army, and we're going to take these bitches out." Blah 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 blah. And uh, David, take it to the next scene. So. <laughs> Because they're at this, what do you call it? It's, like a it's ravine. not a ravine. What? Is it a ravine? It's one of those things he's like, I've made bigger jumps than this. And I was like, have you though? Yeah. <laughs> because how many people on their dirt bikes, and I'm sure you've got listeners who, you know, do extreme bike racing, things like that. How many people do jumps? <laughs> I know okay, either Knievel no, did there's jumps. There's no ramp. <laughs> I know, there's no ramp. It's like, yeah. it's just gravel and then an edge yeah he's like he's like you're gonna have to give it everything he's like i can do this so he tails off and (laughs) he does he gives it everything (laughs) and he goes into the air and guess what he hits that same force field that eagle hit earlier in the movie and then crashes down as you see holden and data screaming and they're like oh my god what's happening I think it's starting to register with Dana that, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. But yeah, and that's the that's the end of Thor. He hits that wall, <laughs> and it is such a shock, static scare, and he tumbles like hundreds of feet. And he hits the wall like. He never hits the ground. No. Like you keep seeing the light flash. Like how deep did that ravine go? Which is actually kind of scary to think about. And Holden's now driving the RV. He's like, we're going to get you out of here no matter what. And uh, Dana is uh, going all Marty and crazy. And Holden's like, keep it together. Keep it together. Well, he can't keep it together because he gets stabbed through the neck as we get the payoff to that bloody handprint. And he gets killed. And the RV just crashes over the cliff. Yeah. Into the water. (laughs) Yeah. And it's... It was actually filmed very well, how they actually make that RV go into the water. Uh-huh. Um, scary scene. She gets out. But what about the, the transition from the she's fly, uh, swimming out of the RV and then it cuts directly to beer being taken out of a watery cooler? <laughs> Such a good transition. <laughs> yeah. And they're all like, hey, we've done it. And it's still a pretty somber mood in the control room. And this is, this is where Hadley has the best line. I love it. Because 
they're all serious and he looks over to the left he's like tequila is my lady (laughs) (laughs) as other other people from other departments have now come down and they're bringing drinks because they think they've killed four of the five people which is all you need to do to complete the ritual yeah because they think the night's over the virgin's death is safe for last because it doesn't matter if she lives or dies she has to suffer which she has clearly done in the background, though, we're watching Dana just get fucking wrecked by one of the Buckners. And then everything's going good. And then the phone rings. The red yeah. phone. And yeah, Hadley's like, turn the fucking music off. Walks to the phone. You hear him having a very heated discussion, saying something was out of order. He's like, no, everything was done and everything was done in order. And they pan back to the screen and lo and behold, tell you what, I need I need that collapsible bomb. They do. It saves I, his I, life multiple times. <laughs> because so the, Marty's alive. Marty's alive. The fool does not die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he comes to save Dana. But he like leads her back to the house. He goes to the grave that he got knocked into. And she's like, oh my god, the grave. And he's like, look at this. And we see one of the greatest deliveries and lines uh he like looks in the camera and goes i disembowel a zombie with a trowel what have you been up to <laughs> <laughs> oh, i did love that yeah and he gives a bunch of exhibitions he's like okay they're all dead and this is basically an elevator these things were fucking sent here and so his conspiracy theory is all true it is and so they're left with this choice we can, he's like i figured this out we can go down she's like why would we go down and stay up here mm-hmm. so let's figure out why this happened so they hop into this elevator and it starts going down and at this point and there's some deep cuts that a lot of people are not gonna know but if you're a fan of horror all of this it's a gold mine yeah. it's literally gold mine this is one of the greatest horror sequences ever um they go down the elevator uh it's important note that the zombie parts and the trowel fall into the elevator with them and uh they that we see that it's not metal walls they're glass walls on two sides and they stop and right off the back we get a classic number one on that list you mentioned earlier a werewolf just all practical by the way smacks the glass and is it's fucking horrifying because i think it looks good oh yeah they did a great job with it it wasn't the american werewolf in paris that's what i was actually no. looking for it was not and well, it wasn't like, not to underworld i like that you didn't pick london you picked paris you picked the worst of the two <laughs> <laughs> uh, the paris one always gets me because it was that 90s horror yeah so. true. um but uh we get uh, a ghost skeleton we get the ballerina with the teeth and then we get that Hellraiser lookalike that we mentioned. That almost looks like that uh, Cenobite from Hellraiser. I think it's like three or four, where it's like the CDs in the dude's head. Clearly, they mirrored this guy after one of the Cenobites. How come they gave him the circle sphere as opposed to a box? I, I guess that, and here's my only thought, that, that's probably copywritten. That's, that's all I could think, too. You probably couldn't get the rights to that. You don't need to look at this guy and understand how to know that he's scary. But if you do know what it is, it kind of just adds up and you go, oh, okay, that's what that is. Um, but she basically says we had to choose how we died. 
and uh, they made us choose. Here's the one thing that gets me. She starts, starts banging, <laughs> banging the glass. <laughs> On the other side of that glass, mind you, listener, is a fucking hell lord, apparently. You're telling me you're banging against that fucking glass? You're trying to you're trying right. to break the integrity because of the glass? If that well, glass breaks, you? <laughs> one, you're probably plummeting to your death. But two, that hell thing is now in your fucking elevator. Yeah. No, I didn't understand that, like, where she's hitting, I mean, violently hitting. At least hit like, the fucking metal. Yeah. It's like, like, stomp your foot. Like, I'm yeah. not breaking the only thing. Who goes to the zoo? Let's beat on the lion enclosure. Yeah. Or not. I don't, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, I was like, what are you doing? But then we zoom out and we see there are almost like, I think it's like hundreds and hundreds of other cubes full of different demons and monsters. You see everything from clowns to zombies to a giant spider to actually a boomer from Left 4 Dead, the video game, because there actually was going to be a Left 4 Dead tie-in with this movie, but they couldn't finish it. But this is what I love. Production designer Martin Wist designed these cubes to actually work mathematically. So like each box was the same size and everything and could actually shift around. He actually used a model online to actually make it all work. And then Rhythm and Hughes Effect Studio designed it with an AI model to work. They had boxes in front of green screens of different sizes that would be used to create force perspective, which is awesome. They had like small boxes with normal sized people to make a giant like look. They would use bugs and small boxes to make like those giant spiders. Like they did all that stuff practical very impressive and it's one of the cool things if you actually get a chance to freeze frame on that you can see so many creatures Mm -hmm. and again hype going back to what lynn said these are what dreams are made from yes so all of this stuff is things we've been scared of our entire lives and i mean they did some great nods in here they could have done more they yeah. could have done more, but it it's it's great. I think it's budget, it's time, it's everything. They can't do all that, uh, but they. I think you know the thing is they do so much. I don't know if you even need more. They could have easily put Easter eggs in there, and there probably are some more. But like, you get so much out of it anyway. And uh, we go back to the control room, and they are freaking out because they don't know where that cube is. And we find out the reason why Marty's been on to them is that his weed has made him immune. Yeah, whatever they thought they did. So again, the chem department fucked up again. <laughs> they they laced his weed, and it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, they finally find the cube, and I love the fade from the screen to the elevator. Door dings, and this security guard has a gun point at them. He's like, just the girl, get out of the elevator. And like they both are like, excuse me? The zombie arm that fell grabs him, he freaks out, and they immediately incapacitate him, and uh, Marty goes, good work, zombie arm, and he grabs the trowel, he grabs the gun, and they run away, and we see as the doors close, the zombie hand start to scratch the dude in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned earlier that this team has a SWAT team. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, so you not only have all these scientists and engineers and computer programmers... You have a full-on SWAT team. I mean, it's, it's definitely there for what we find out next because a woman's voice comes over the loudspeaker and they are – Marty and Dana are now in uh, – like it's basically the elevator like opening at like a hotel. But again, they're in that facility. So it's all cold, blue, white, steel colors and 
the voice is like, hey, what you're expecting is scary, but it's only stopping a much more or what what you're experiencing is scary, but it's only stopping a much more ancient and deeper evil. And it's basically like, hey, give yourselves up for the greater good. And we see in the control room that on the monitor in the first monitor is them. And on the right and left monitors next to them, there are swarms of SWAT people coming to get them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they scramble to a nearby control room as this uh, – as the, the voice over the loudspeaker says, forgive us and let us get this over with. Uh, bulletproof glass thankfully is there as these guys just fucking light up this elevator control room with bullets. And for some reason, I don't know why, but in every single movie in like villains origin story or in a villains layer, they have a button that is like, <laughs> stop everything that's bad happening. This is the opposite. It just says purge. Yeah. I, it does make you wonder why does that button exist? Exactly. It is not a purge button to like set all the cubes on fire and burn everything. No, it's a purge everything to release everything. <laughs> yeah, why would this facility have a button that's like, fuck up the world? Yeah, let's release all the monsters in our area. Well, what? David, it's there, and we get the greatest sequence, or one of the greatest sequences I have ever seen, because... Just like sequel to Scooby-Doo, monsters are unleashed as the elevator doors open and they go ding and chaos ensues. Holy shit. All these fucking monsters. Yeah. The molesting tree, the snake, the demon, <laughs> the, the, the dismemberment demons flying around. Oh my gosh. The vampire The little robot. Oh, the nod to, oh gosh, what's the movie? with the people with the mask on i'm trying oh, to the uh, strangers the strangers yeah i was like very well done <laughs> well another fun note here they had to digitally plan out each death in this sequence to make sure it worked they had a cg effects crew go through and make every single death make sense uh and then they had to do cgi effects mixed with the practical effects and they were all done with models stunt work props uh, and they took all that. It took six weeks for the AFX crew to create all of these monsters. And it was a crew of 60 who did it. And that was led by David and Heather Langenkamp's team because Warner Brothers gave them more money to spend on the effects. And like they've already talked about like this was a dream come true and it'll never happen again because we had so much time and money and energy dedicated to just creating monsters. And that's how you get all these crazy fucking things happening. And uh, it is insanely bloody, insanely gory, and the effects are amazing. Yeah, it's it's a thing of beauty. I mean, if you cannot watch this and appreciate like how real, how it's just every monster, and it's exactly what you think. All these monsters are released, and there's a bunch of SWAT team members there. It's kind of like a feast. <laughs> I love that the elevator doors keep closing, and then they, the more, next SWAT team shows up. There's blood everywhere, and then it just goes ding, and then you see blood splatter again, and like limbs. How many gallons of blood do you think they used for this sequence? Oh my gosh! I, I actually have the number. I would say a couple hundred. They had two hundred gallons of blood. Yep. 
Sounds about right. Um, yeah, and uh, the director, Drew, was like, originally he just wanted to do only practical, and then he realized that it would be too insane. So they mixed the two of practical and CGI, and it works brilliantly. And you can get that with this next scene where some one of the SWAT team people – or no, it's one of the, uh, the chemists – gets chucked over the balcony and right into a snake's mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of the greatest movie sequences uh, – it, it's uh, and then what's really fun here is that we go back to the control room and they're watching everything happen on the screen. Uh, fun note in the script, this was just written as there is chaos on every screen. Yes, every screen people are being killed. So these monsters have now they're out of the lobby area. They're throughout the entire facility, which is funny that they have cameras in all the rooms in the I facility. Mean, you have to monitor everything because in case a monster gets out. Yeah, that's true. So it, it's just cool to watch because those characters are walking around in various scenes. All the monitors are depicting all of this violence and mayhem. And it it is fantastic. But you see uh, a mutant tree killing somebody. The strangers looking people dousing their victims in gasoline on fire. A dude literally laying down on his back and monsters puke up acid on his face and kill him. You get the dismemberment demons driving around golf carts with the dude's like arms and legs in their hands. A girl shoots herself. Zombies eat people. There is so much happening. Now here, when I told you, I teased, there was a hidden gem in the scene. There is one. And I caught it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's only because I have an affinity for the movies that I'm talking about. Tell it to me. I know what you're doing. The villain from Blade 2 is in this scene, which is interesting because on the betting board, there were vampires. Yeah. So as you look, a man is thrown over the balcony by a man in a brown trench coat with a red hoodie on. Which is the outfit that the villain in Blade 2 had at the very beginning of the movie. That's so funny. And I'm like, oh my, I literally almost want to clap. I was like, bravo. I'm sure if, I want to rewatch this scene over and over because I want to just find all those little deep cuts. Um, it, but the thing is, it's going so fast. Like, this is like, this is with 15 minutes to go. Yeah, it's bang, bang. It is like constant action and you you don't even know where to look. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, you see, the, the go to the control room, the lights go out, we hear banging against the vault door. Uh, Marty and Dana finally have to escape because a bat crashes through the window. Marty lands a headshot on a zombie. We see blood is everywhere. The unicorn death is hilarious and gorgeous as he just stabs a dude in the <laughs> chest. But then the clown death is fucking horrifying. Yeah, the clown is bad. Now, and here's another one where people were like, it was supposed to be Pennywise, but clearly they didn't have no, the rights didn't. to make him look like that. But it's it's still terrifying. Dude, it's <laughs> like, like laughing, like slowly approaching. And every time she pumps a bullet into him, he just laughs. Yeah, and he pulls up the knife and it's just, oh, yeah, it's. If you're scared of clowns, yeah, it's not not a good scene. <laughs> there's literally a scene earlier at the control room where they're watching all this chaos happen when there's a clown the clown is just screaming, laughing in the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um but we go back to that control room. Oh, but we do see 
Uh, there is a somber moment where the elevator dings and the last person comes out and it is Patience, the zombie from earlier with her missing arm and her axe without her family and she is just walking into the facility. Yeah, just slow slow creep. She finally made it there. Yeah. And she will, I mean, she's been in this the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Just dabbles. <laughs> yep, but uh, we now go back to the control room. Those scarecrows I mentioned earlier now have Truman. They take him down. And uh, he does the honorary thing and he detonates a grenade in his chest and blows everything up. But sadly, this sends, no rhyming pun intended, Hadley flying and he yeah. smacks into a control panel and while we're watching this you see Sitterson and uh lynn in the corner trying to get like an escape door open wish and you shall receive because he's on the ground and in another great moment of this movie he looks through this dense fog and all we hear is like a flopping wet like slocking sound and I love this scene for the one fact. It's almost like watching a comedian do his set. Yeah. Like when he talks about a joke. Callback. Yeah, it's the ultimate callback. It's like, here we are literally, what, 50 minutes later since he made the comment, I've never seen a merman. And here it is. He's like, oh, oh come on. <laughs> and the music just hits. It's great. I didn't say his name earlier. I want to pull it up real quick here. The music is done by... Well, I just had it. It is done by David Julian, which he does a great job. Um, and it bites his face. Blood just starts coming out of his face. Geyser of blood. And, uh, yeah. Stitson did say they were messy. Yeah, so he the cleanup on them is horrible. And uh, <laughs> Heather Langkamp has said this is her favorite practical effect of all time. Um, and if you look at the extras, you know, in this part, it like kind of shows it sputtering blood out. Mm-hmm. There is a that's the end of the geyser they had. They had a geyser that was like literally fountaining out blood for like a good five seconds, and that is just the end. <laughs> that's how much Love blood it. they use. Yeah. Um, Citizen finally gets the escape hatch open, but sadly, he'll go by himself because Lynn gets taken out by a fucking tentacle monster. Yeah, and they didn't say what monster that was supposed to be because it wasn't the snake. I don't. So I'm know. trying to think what what was the nod to that. I don't know. Maybe like um, the kraken. Yeah, possible. Okay. Because I, I, if you watch that whiteboard and you see what they have, not all the monsters are on that whiteboard. That's true. Those are only the betting favorite ones. Right. So I wonder if there was just some more in that uh, cube stuff that don't get used. But Sitterson runs away. He's down in the tunnels and uh, he gets immediately stabbed by Dana because Dana and Marty escaped earlier through like the, the hole that the demon bat made. And uh, he's like, please kill Marty. And Marty gives her the gun. And sh- uh, you actually see Dana like question why Sitterson said that to her. Yeah, she's like, why would that happen? Yeah. But uh, what happens next? So they fall down, they continue going down the stairwell, and all of a sudden they get to the ritual room. And you've seen this room several times throughout the movie. This is where all the blood has been filling in. And that's when Dana starts putting all of this together. She Then we see a literal scream queen, horror queen show up because the director we've heard all along is none other 
than the goat or one of Sigourney Weaver. Did not see it coming. When they when she talked earlier on the PA, didn't even catch it. I was like, it's just a woman's voice. When she comes on the screen, you're like, oh my god, it's Sigourney. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. They almost debated on doing uh, Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead, but they ended up going. With, I think this is a much better choice. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been too campy with Bruce. Yeah, I. It wouldn't have made because it would have been a tie to Ash, but he wouldn't have been on that side of it. Yeah. So I, I. No, I think Sigourney was the perfect pull for this, mm-hmm. and it was unexpected, and she delivers the message to Dana that. Yep, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah, this how it has to go. The whore has to go first because she's corrupted. Then it goes the athlete, the scholar, and the fool. They all have to die. Then the virgin is last. She can live or die. And Dana laughs. And then uh, I love the line where she's like, we work with what we have. That is priceless. With what we have. <laughs> yeah, because again, the, the, the ancient ones don't really care about the logistics. They just want it done. And she says, in eight minutes, the sun will rise. And at that point, Marty, if Marty is not dead, then the world will literally end. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. It'll be agonizing. It'll be traumatic. And the entire world's population will get destroyed. And uh, Marty kind of makes a quip. And then she says, you either can die with them or for them. Which, now here's an interesting part in the movie. Because you, honestly, this is the one time where you actually sit and you go, hmm. You've got to kill your friend, or literally every person on the planet is going to die. What do you do there? <laughs> well, that's where there's this gray area where it's like, who is the real villain of this movie? Like, yes, they're, it's, it's, it's victims of circumstance, sadly. Yeah, and it's, and it's actually shocking because you see the main character struggle with this. She's like, oh, oh my gosh, well, then I might need to save everyone and so the gun that marty has given her like three minutes earlier is now being pointed at him yeah (sighs) i mean tragic it is it is a really (laughs) tough kind of moral conundrum there and um we see that she's so conflicted but then in behind her we see the werewolf shows up it bites her hard marty gets the gun shoots the werewolf he fights the director, and we see in the background there's someone with an axe approaching and slowly approaching. Uh, fun little note, Sigourney Weaver w- wanted to work with the werewolf so bad. She signed on because she could work with the werewolf and has pictures of her like on set like holding the werewolf's hand and like, dancing with it. Like She was such a little kid with that werewolf. It's the sweetest thing. That's pretty awesome. Marty and her, uh, Sigourney start fighting, and then we see that it's Patience. Marty flips over the director and then she gets an axe to the back of the head and it looks good. I tell you what, the effects on this movie, they spared no expense. And I mean, everything looks real. You don't sit at any one point and go, yeah, it looks fake. Mm -hmm. Nope. It all looks very believable. She takes the axe and Patience looks at him and he's like, oh boy, I'm going to get axe next as soon as she pulls his axe out of the back of her skull. So he kicks the body smart play (laughs) smart play yeah and so they both topple over the edge and he runs over to dana like hey look marty i like you you're my friend but we've now just condemned the entire world to damnation and hell yeah and this is the one thing because you sit there at this point in the movie and go 
oh my God, so what's going to happen? And they end this movie in the best way. Marty pulls out another blunt, which I don't know how he's kept that thing. He's got that thing ready to go. (laughs) Yeah, he's ready to go. Had the lighter, he's ready to go. Fires it up. They have a brief couple minutes discussion. And all of a sudden, the walls start to shake. Ceiling starts to fall. You're like, oh my gosh, this is about to get real. And then you cut to the floor breaking apart in this huge titan-sized arm bust through the floor all the way up. Now you pan to outside this arm up into the sky and slams down to the ground and then fade to black. Yeah, and uh, dude, all that environment that you see that hand go through, the trees, everything, all practical effects. They literally did all that first and then they CG'd in the hand in the cabin. Amazing. And the shot where you go from the ground all the way up was a crane shot they actually did. So all that stuff is real. The, like the background everything, that's all real. They just CG'd that giant hand. It's so good. And yeah, uh, the world is ending. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those movies when the credits start rolling, you just sit back and go, wow, that, that was a ride. I didn't see any of that coming. Yeah, it's... Dude, it, it is just such a great movie, and I wish this would become on a Halloween rotation. Yeah. I don't know why this movie is not shown more. I agree. <laughs> I think this is one of those ones that I, – I, I, I'm interested to hear other people's thoughts about it because I've always thought it was a great film. I get that it's a little goofy, and sometimes the comedy can be a little 2000 where you're like, okay. But I think it's really good. Yeah, and I think it's just balanced enough. Yeah. Especially in, again, this is why I used it. It's a good intro into horror. Yeah. Let's say, I don't know, you've got a kid and he wants to get into a scary movie. This is one of those movies where it's not too scary. It, there's still some comedy to it. You can mm-hmm. still laugh. Yeah. But you can still get a jump scare or two. You know, you get to see some gore. It's so well balanced. I think this is a really good one. I think that it's a really easy watch. It's a brief watch, too. Uh, and it's just fun. I think that's really what I'm looking for in my horror movies. And this one kind of checks all the boxes. I agree, 100%. It's been a long time. Hopefully we don't have another gap that's this long. And uh, it's good hearing from you. And uh, I look forward to whatever the next one's going to be. Sounds good, man. Hey, anytime you need me, I will always come to do this. It's a blast. But you guys know the drill. It is always to be kind and please rewind. Intro song from YouTube Audio Library by DJ Williams. Recordings done on Clean Feed. Podcast distributed by Anchor. Original logo created by friend of the pod, David. Current logo created by friend of the pod, Liz. Purring by Storm.